everybody. Uh, welcome to the Nightmare Collective podcast. This, this, we are your hosts, Cody, Melissa, and Allie. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, really, really cool episode we've got today. Uh, we are doing our third true crime episode. So if you are all into true crime, this is something you're going to want to listen to because we're awesome. Uh, Melissa, why don't you tell us like what what we do for our true crime episodes? Yeah. So if you are a true crime fan, you've probably listened and found true crime in lots of different places. So Currently, we are focusing on Washington State, which is our home state, um, whoop, whoop. and we are just focusing <laughs> on like crime from there. Um, we're gonna take a proverbial road trip across the United States, doing crime cases. I think every once in a while we'll probably branch out too and do something abnormal that catches our eye. But mm-hmm. oh yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. and cur- and currently. Unless we really get Cody interested, Allie and I are tag teaming. We're each doing two stories for each episode. So, well, one yeah. story per each person's doing one episode per. Yes, story. yeah, yeah. The way I said that wasn't very clear. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. It's fine. It's fine. Sorry. Hey, also, if you are listening to us and you are at home and it's after work, grab a cocktail, hang out with us. Two of the three of us are currently drinking slushies. With Jack Daniels in them, and they're wonderful. And I am not because I think it's gross. Oh, it's delicious. It's Sorry, Ellie. I mean, if out. you had some cider and BSB, then I would. Be yeah, down, but you have but that at home. So. I do have that at home. Um, yeah, it's not with me though. <laughs> so before we get started, um, mm-hmm. as we're you know going through true crime stuff today and talking about all that creepy weird stuff that happens and people being evil. Um, what have you guys like been watching or reading as far as true crime to kind of feed that beast mm-hmm. for you guys? I so I am an avid twenty twenty watcher. Okay. Um, I don't really know why. I just well, I do know why. It's because it's short bursts. <laughs> yeah, it's short stories usually, and mm-hmm. most often they're true crime. Except for, um, recently it's been like really because of COVID and the election and. Famous people passing away. Like, it's been, like, so... Still kind of true crime. Yeah, yeah. But (laughs) it just hasn't been the same. So, um, I caught up on that, finally. Um, And then I went back and watched an old 2020 episode. And I can never remember the the guy's name. But um, Shanann Watts. Oh, Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Because... Yes, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes, yeah. And because I want to go back and watch, well, I want to watch the, there's a thing on Netflix Mm -hmm. about him right now. Yeah, we watched watched that. It was really good. I was going to say, that's Mm -hmm. what I was going to talk about. So, Oh, Oh. see, I haven't watched it yet, but I was really following along when all that stuff was kind of happening. And um the thing that Shanann's mother said, I don't know if they show this in that, um, but I just, it's, it's really stuck with me because when they were trying to figure out his punishment, mm-hmm. um, she got to make a statement yeah. about mm-hmm. like what she thought he, you know, cause the death penalty was on the table yeah, yeah. and she said, um, I want you like essentially like I want you to die to pay for what you did to my daughter and my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. But 
I don't believe that I have the right to take another human being's life like you chose to do. Yeah, it oh, did wow. have that. And yeah, yeah. that was like so, so powerful to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Um, to have that anger, but like that grace at the same time, like to be like I, I that shouldn't be in my power and my control. Like For that, sure. that really stuck with me when all that happened. Yeah. Um. So I went. I went back to rewatch the 2020 episode. Mm. Um. Because I. I knew that I, I just kind of want to refresh my brain before I dove into that. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like, wait, what's happening again? Because I remember yeah. it was kind of a crazy, yeah, it's kind it of a kind crazy of a case. Yeah. There was lots of elements to that. Yeah. And I mean, again, for somebody who doesn't like absolutely love true crime. He got sucked in. Yeah. I mean, we turned it on and I was just like, mm-hmm. what the crap is going on? Yeah. And, and she knew like how, like what the story was already. And I was like, mm-hmm. is he innocent? Like, because right now he seems like mm-hmm. not a bad dude. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then you start seeing things unfold and you're like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. No, he he did. Yeah. Yeah. What a scumbag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it that I will say did suck me in. Mm-hmm. Um I will also say, Allie, you can talk about the thing that you've been watching that I have not enjoyed. Um It's because you're weird. But why don't why don't you tell everybody what you've been watching um so i've been watching the vow on hbo mm-hmm. and then also um seduced and they're both about nexium um and seduced is on the stars network okay um they're both really good um one kind of follows along um more from before like all the prosecutions happened and all of that um and then the other one follows someone who is still in the cult up until the time that he was arrested and Which, everything and was completely brainwashed the whole time and her mom was trying to get her out didn't he just get 120 years in prison something <laughs> yeah i mean the founder I mean, of this cult like he's gone for good I yeah because i know like nothing about it major yeah. sex trafficking yeah and just uh it was it's so awful and so interesting to watch um so if you haven't watched that yet i completely recommend it crazy that people you can get Mm -hmm. mass groups of people to do things or believe things that they never for sure yeah like there are i mean Mm -hmm. not that specific because i like i said i know nothing about it but Mm -hmm. i know that like in other cult conversations like people will say like i knew that person and like they were too smart for that like i knew that they wouldn't it, it's not just like mm-hmm. the weird people like there's like completely what we would consider like average joes oh yeah know. and like all the people that like these documentaries follow like you know they seem completely sane mm-hmm. obviously and you know they thought they were doing the right thing mm-hmm. when they were in it yeah and then realizing that you've lost however many years and however much money and yeah. you know it's just like whoa and so um like you see some of them process that through the documentary Mm -hmm. as well so it's just it's really powerful too um but yeah he like convinced them that he was like this all-knowing like guru kind of like yeah you know gandhi like Mm -hmm. whatever type guy well and and, um that he was completely celibate in actuality he was sleeping with everyone everyone all the women anyway yeah and um was telling them that if (laughs) 
they had sex with him it would just it would be enlightenment it wasn't sex it was just a transfer of energy and all of this bullshit sounds like um manson a yeah. little bit oh, yeah, a sure. little bit oh for mm-hmm. sure well and in reality all cults oh yeah are, yeah are to very some degree similar, right mm-hmm. um well and i think it's funny too because then you know that's gonna that brings me to what you and i started watching ali and i started watching uh as covid started we got sucked in to uh the show that leah rumini did oh, about yeah. Scientology. oh yes mm-hmm. um, oh yeah and well, i should just, probably be careful because you don't want them to come after us with their yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> but the thing that I loved about that TV show is that she it very it very much was a true crime on, oh, yeah. like, like series, but she came at it with a I want to help people see what's really going on, and I I want to help the people that are still in there, but I also mm. want to help the people that have been ostracized out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was that was really cool. And it was really mm-hmm. interesting. It's really hard to watch more than one episode, though. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. heavy. Well, yeah, it's it, so emotionally draining. Each episode is like 45 minutes or mm-hmm. something like that mm-hmm. on Hulu. But for me, that 45 minutes felt like a, like like an hour and a half. It literally felt like double mm-hmm. the time. And that's not mm-hmm. a bad thing always. Mm-hmm. But it's not a show you could just sit and binge. They no. also um, like, you know, really go in depth with the people's lives and they're interviewing and telling their full story, which Mm -hmm. is really cool instead of just being like, you know, kind of cherry picking what what they have time for. And Scientology is always like so shrouded in mystery. Like it's, it's not very transparent transparent to me it's not at least i mean maybe i just haven't learned to be no yeah you know they're like it's secretive right Yeah. yeah and and i think that's really cool that she's she tried for a yeah. long time to expose that mm-hmm. yeah. um so that was that was really cool um, the, the crazy thing about that though i mean it we we binged the first well not binged but i mean it you can't it's not a binge show like you said but watched yeah. that like this time last year i was having really bad health issues and we were just mm, watching it yeah. um oh gosh <laughs> sorry um but i Aside from the people being ostracized and all the crazy ways that they, that Scientology like takes money and yeah. from you and mm-hmm. gets you to try and invest in enlightening yourself, but mm-hmm. um, I can't remember what it was called, but there was that compound that people would go live on, and it was like a training center. Oh, um, Waco. What Waco? No, 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 no. It's in it's in Southern California, yeah. I believe. Mm. But like, and it had like barbed wire around yeah. it, and like people were like trying to escape and you couldn't like they would they would chase you down to drag you back and i remember being like oh my gosh like that is that is like being abducted and like you just can't i'm pretty sure it was on that at least no i think it was and and it's it's interesting too because you're right it it is like they're being abducted right Mm -hmm. but at the same time they're willingly doing it yeah at the beginning yeah for sure for sure at the beginning and i think that's that's even scarier, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. oof. Um, well, we have a tradition here before we start <laughs> each true crime episode. Um, Allie, you have gone first both times mm-hmm. uh, yeah. because 
She's really good at rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, you're just really good at rock, paper, scissors. Uh, Is that what they're calling them? Yeah. So for everybody who's new to this, uh, Melissa and Allie play rock, paper, scissors. Uh, the only proper real way. It's rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Um, and we don't go beyond rock, paper, scissors. This isn't Big Bang Theory. It's not rock, paper, scissors, lizards, Bach. Um, so they're going to do rock, paper, scissors. Winner goes first. Um I know Allie is hoping that she loses. <laughs> um, <laughs> Melissa, I'm sure you're thinking the same thing. I, no, I don't care. Oh, uh-uh. okay. So uh, let's do this. Ready? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. I won that time. Okay. Paper covers rock. Paper covers rock. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I'm just going to dive into it. Partly because I'm not sure how long it's going to take. I apologize. Um, but I chose to do this week the story of the Hollywood Bandit. Oh. Um, okay. So this popped into my brain because um, I saw a commercial for a casino around here that's called Seven Seaters Casino oh, and Resort. Yeah. Um, and you'll understand why that triggered my memory as I go into it. I'm not going to say exactly why, but. And it's, it isn't related in any way, I don't believe, to this actual story. <laughs> it just has a weird tie. Hmm. But um, I read a book by Anne Rule, Queen. Mm-hmm. Anne Rule is amazing. If you like reading true crime and you haven't read Anne Rule, go do it. She personally knew Ted Bundy and was friends yeah. with him. Yeah. Yep. Um, didn't realize who he was. That but book is crazy. Dog did not like him. Haven't yeah. you met him or met her? Yes, and I have rule? met her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. Yeah. I have a book somewhere that's signed She passed by her. away and I believe. Yes. Did she? I believe she passed away. Mm. Okay. Now I need to know that. That's a Time out. So sorry, we took a two second pause. <laughs> but Melissa, you did find out. Yes. Anne Rule did pass away in 2015. Sad day. Um, sad day. Super sad. Because um, she was an amazing true crime author. Mm-hmm. But she wrote a book called The End of a Dream which is about this case um, that I used for this research. I also used an article by Daryl C. McClary um, that was written in 2009 on historylink.org. Wikipedia, an article from apnews.com by Audra Eng, I believe is how you say it, and that was from 1996. And also a Seattle Times article called Hollywood Gets 21 Years by um, Charles E. Brown from 1997. Hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway, this is The Hollywood Bandit. A uh, little bit different from the murdery things I've been doing, but true crime th- nonetheless. So um, Scott Skurlock earned a reputation as a Hollywood bandit in the Seattle area in the early 90s. And he actually operated for a really long time in the Seattle area, an incredibly long time for robbery okay. um, uh, with what we would consider like more modern technology. Mm. But he was born William Scott Scurlock on March 5th, 1955 in Fairfax County, Virginia. And he was one of four kids, the only son. And he oh. was born to William Scurlock, who was a Baptist youth pastor and Mary Jane Scurlock, who was an elementary school teacher oh. in Virginia. So I'm sure you can kind of imagine like that sort of a climate yeah. <laughs> of uh-huh. a household. Yeah. Very traditional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. One would expect. <laughs> but even though their career paths would make you think that they would be these strict uptight 
perfect little family Mm -hmm. they were incredibly permissive parents and kind of let the kids do what they wanted interesting um that's really interesting so the problem with that i mean of course is you have kids who are trying to figure out a moral compass Mm -hmm. but in addition to that you have a son who's the only boy who is good looking a lot of people describe him as looking like a young mel gibson which to me that's not necessarily my (laughs) Radar of good looking, but okay. I get in the nineties maybe. Uh, n- mm, I was gonna eighties Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon. I was about to say, yeah, yeah like pretty handsome. Mel Gibson was like maybe not nineties Mel Gibson. He's not my type. <laughs> I don't know. That's just not. Also, for the record, Braveheart Mel Gibson. Okay. Now, okay, uh, okay. I mean, really? but not like I wouldn't be like oh. Braveheart Mel Gibson swoon, but like yeah. swoon. I I I don't know. I I'm not saying that he wasn't good looking. From his picture, he was quite good looking. But anyway, so he has no rules. He's good looking. He's been described by acquaintances and friends as charming, charismatic, a ladies' man who's incredibly smart and manipulative. Oh. So. All these things together, the upbringing, the good looks, the fact that he has kind of like this personality that charms the pants off people. He grows up to be the definition of like that rebellious pastor's kid, Makes teenager. Um, and he often did things that like showed that he had a thirst for ja- danger. Um, so people were give examples of like the sort of things that he did that were considered kind of dangerous. And what a ironic thing but when he was young he grew up with this um kid named kevin myers and they would wait to rob early morning delivery trucks like for like pies and things like that which to them wasn't robbery because it's you're stealing pie yeah but Mm -hmm. like that was just the start of it so um as he got older he continued to kind of have like that bad boy reputation and he was known as having like a flair for the bizarre and being a little bit eccentric. So mm. despite all of that, like he wasn't like just like the good looking bad boy. Like he had some some stuff. But mm. um, so Scott and Kevin, that friend that he would rob, rob it, the <laughs> delivery trucks with, um, were really good friends and troublemakers in their younger years. And but they, like most of us do, grew apart as they got older. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and Kevin was an athlete mm-hmm. and um um so he he's this athlete and he did like track and he actually got to go to college i believe it was in arizona he like busted his legs pole vaulting oh. and so he had to rehabilitate and had moved back home and he pursued a scholarship um for pole vaulting at a university in hawaii and he uh, after he like accepted this scholarship he runs into scott at a party even though they've grown apart they are they're not really talking yeah and upon hearing about kevin's plans scott expresses that he would have an interest in coming to visit him one day because who wouldn't want to go to hawaii oh for sure to visit someone and like kevin just takes it as casual small talk they haven't talked in a long time they've grown apart um but like shortly after he arrives on the island he finds himself at a bus station running into scott scurlock oh <laughs> and like scott is kind of visiting him and then he decides he loves hawaii he decides to stay 
Um, he gets like some odd jobs. One is at this place called Hawaii Plant Life and Privacy Fences, which was like a tomato farm yeah. and other gardening as well. Um, and he would get like odd jobs here and there. For example, he modeled for a bit. He was a leg reader at the airport. Um, okay. All sorts of things. And um, the university suddenly ends up for poor Kevin cutting their track program like a year after he gets there. If you hear beeps, that's my wife. That's Allie uh, messing with her insulin I'm pump. I'm trying not to die. It's fine. Sorry, Melissa. <laughs> no, it's okay. I was trying to be quiet and it's just like, beep. <laughs> we did not mean to interrupt. No, no, no it's sorry. fine. Keep going. Um, so the university just suddenly cuts it. They don't have the funding to do the track and field anymore. And so Kevin drops out of school and he decides he loves Hawaii too. So he goes to work on this tomato farm and live on it with Scott. And um, they are there kind of living like the Hawaii dream. They call it the Shire because it's just like this perfect oh, wow. little place. And they have goats and lots of like hippie women are coming to visit them and all sorts of things. And one day um, they go hiking and they run into a marijuana farm in the middle of nowhere on the north shore of Oahu. And they decide, because in their circle, marijuana is a popular thing. And they decide that they're going to cut some plants and sell them from this random farm that they find. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and oh they, no. they make good money. And so um, Scott decides hey, this is profitable. This is an easy way to make a few bucks. So he goes back and he takes some of the marijuana plants, like digs them up and plants them amongst the tomatoes at this farm that they're working on. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Apparently, um, tomato leaves and pot leaves kind of look similar. I can um, see that a little bit. And so like it kind of bl blended in enough that it wasn't obvious. Oh. Um, but the owner of Hawaii plant life eventually realizes what's going on that they're like running this drug business which is mm -hmm. illegal yeah. um mm -hmm. off the property and he kicks both of them off the farm and it causes them to go their separate ways kevin moves around the country and he he kind of is all over the place but he ends up kind of settling in canada for a while where he pursues painting and scott scurlock decides that he's going to pursue his dream of becoming a doctor Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington. Oh. Okay. And so he comes up to Olympia to do that and to to get started in that doctor program. Like part of it is these chemistry classes and he rocks chemistry. Like he's mm. a smart guy. He's catching on really quick. And he decides, you know, he has this really great way that he's going to put his chemistry knowledge to good use mm -hmm. to get him through college in more ways than one because he decides that he's going to start making meth oh. in the school's <laughs> chemistry lab. And <laughs> this guy sounds he, incredibly bright, but incredibly stupid. He is great. So oh he's doing this. He he's like, because he's charming and manipulative and like people love him. And he's good looking, which is a problem. I mean, this is in the early 70s, you know, and so Ted Bundy yeah. also good looking. Mm. Nobody believes anything. Um, he literally has keys to like everywhere on the campus because they trust him. 
and he so he has access but like he's also like going through the ceiling like when he is in a pickle and can't get caught and like is totally just abusing this lab oh my god um, to make crystal meth um uh-huh. so he would manufacture it and of course you know he's using it to get through college and, yeah and when i say using i mean actually using the drug he's producing oh, as sure. well as selling it no sleep yeah um and so the drug business like takes off he's got good connections and so he starts slacking at school and takes his classes only sporadically because he's making good money. Mm. And he continues to do this for almost six years before he officially drops out. Oh, my gosh. And so, like, just this off and on with the drugs and everything. We, we can officially blame him for the meth problem in <laughs> Olympia. <laughs> and, he and like, the reason he dropped out is because he's like, this can support me. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be a doctor. Um, like, he had... There was some quote from a friend of his like that he had said something like why do i why would i go to school to work at this job where i'm only going to make this much when i could not do school and make all this money selling meth yeah i mean uh, i understand the line of yeah. reason there yeah. but doesn't make not, it right no no <laughs> not saying it's good reason no. but um and so he uses the wonderful money he's making to buy a piece of property that covers a a little less than 20 acres near Olympia and the property already has a small house and there's like a barn and workshop that he uses to continue producing the meth. Um, and he starts burying plastic buckets. Like I think of like those emergency prep, like five gallon buckets Mm -hmm. um, filled with both crystal meth and mass amounts of money all over this 20 acres of property so that he can hoard it and not have to like put it anywhere else. Wow. Um, And so here on the back of the property, Scott decides that he is going to fulfill another dream of his and build a tree house. And so this dream home, he names Seven Cedars, hence the casino commercial triggering it. Mm. Um, And again, I don't think it has any actual relation, but he names it that due to the fact that it is built in a, a stand of seven cedar trees that are all really close together on the back of the property. Now, I have to say this. Meth fueled a really cool treehouse concept and also a really terrifying treehouse concept. So this thing is three stories high. Oh, no. And it no. includes many am- amenities. It has an outdoor bathtub, a working bathroom, electricity, a full kitchen, over 30 windows, an extra large fireplace. Oh, okay. In a treehouse. Um, okay. And a zip line so that they can easily escape if anyone shows up as well as it sounds like the description almost sounds like Tarzan ropes. So like they can like swing away through the trees if like the cops ever come three stories looking for them. Yeah. 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 (laughs) When you're high on meth. I mean, yeah, that's a great concept. But semi kudos to this guy. He had a bucket list and he's, he's marking stuff off, right? He's, he's lived in Hawaii. Yeah. He's, Gone, gone to, to school co- to be a doctor. Gone to college multiple I mean, times. Dropped out. Yeah. Uh, um, wow. Like all these things. So. Yeah. Although uh, kids. Don't do don't math. Do math. Don't do math. No. Don't, please don't. don't. Make it's not worth either. it. <laughs> and so like to make this dream come true. He gets a bunch of friends. Um, including um, Kevin Myers himself. Like is kind of coming back and forth. They're okay. kind of still talking. Um, and Kevin's like realizing that some kind of funky stuff is going on. And. Um, 
that Scott's kind of getting more eccentric than maybe he previously was. Hmm. He also gets um, Kevin, Kevin's brother, whose name is Steve Myers. And Steve was struggling financially and emotionally after like a really bitter divorce. Um, and he comes and does like a bunch of like the carpentry work and things like that. Um, they use stolen lumber. They steal the wood from nearby lumber yard so they don't have to pay for it. And Scott, this made me laugh, brags to his friends that it was completed in a short time because he could work all day and all night with the meth. Yeah. Well, so of course. Yeah. it didn't take him very long. So that was cool to him. Um, and, it, and again, he decides that he's going to drop out of school to live off the drug business and that this is all being supported just by that. And with this dream, he's also taking lavish vacations all over the world and he's taking people with him. Kevin goes on some of these vacations with him and recalls like these times where Scott's like almost dying on these vacations because of like the stunts that he's pulling while they're there. Um, He's gambling in Vegas. He's giving his friends free rent and I'm putting free in quotation (laughs) marks and spreading his wealth onto others like to charm them. For example, like if he was known in the Olympia area, he would come and come in, get a $15 meal at a restaurant and give you a hundred dollar tip. Crazy. Um, because he just had the money. Yeah. But he says it's free. It comes from the generosity of his heart, but he is keeping mental tabs on what he's given everybody because he is manipulative. Mm-hmm. And so he, he says, Hey, that you can have this. And then he comes back months later and says, remember when I said you could have this for free? Well, that was really nice of me. So now you need to do this and like mm-hmm. guilt people into doing stuff for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though he's making good money on the drugs, it all changes because one of his dealers gets murdered oh. out of the blue. As far as I can see, the dealer is nameless. Don't know who he is. This isn't about his murder. Sad if you're into the murdery thing, but <laughs> um, he, so he immediately, even though he's like this risk taker, adrenaline junkie he decides it's too risky to do the drug business anymore and starts to live off of all the money and drugs that he's hoarded in the buckets Mm. and so like as he's running low on money then he'll sell drugs for a little bit if he has to but he's also using his supply so it's going faster than maybe it should Mm -hmm. um and of course he's it runs low eventually and scott decides that he has a new idea now because the doctor thing didn't work. The Hawaii dream didn't work. Now the meth business has failed, but he's going to continue to pursue his dreams. Um, and his new dream is that he has always had, he claims a desire, even as a child to rob banks like Robin hood and like re oh. disperse the money in a better way. Again, taking something off that bucket list. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, really does a good job of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he, he tells this to Steve Myers, Kev, his longtime friend, Kevin's brother. Mm. Um, and so he, to pursue this dream decides he's going to call up this guy, Mark Biggins, who was a college friend that he had had when he was doing the meth business and everything. Um, And he knew that this Mark was struggling financially. And so he offers for him to come and help him rob banks. He's like, Hey, I know you've hit hard times. I've hit hard times. My meth is gone. Let's band together and do something cool now. And 
due to his like previous generosity of heart, Scott can manipulate Mark into feeling obligated to help him because he has already helped Mark out. Mm. And so he's like, Hey, it's going to do something for you, but it's going to do something for me. So, and I've already done stuff for you. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, a lot of time has gone by. So now it's 1992. And on June 25th, 1992, Scott Scurlock and Mark Biggins rob the Sea First Bank, which is now known as Bank of America, um, on Madison Street in Seattle, which is kind of a nicer area yeah. of mm-hmm. Seattle. So to do this, Scott disguises himself with a fake nose and heavy theatrical makeup that made him look like an old man. And Mark Biggins comes in with a Ronald Reagan mask on. So they're both disguised (laughs) (laughs) um, in their own way. Um, They're able to get the money. As they leave, they decide decide that they're going to take a car from one of the bank patrons so that their car can't be traced. They'll abandon it somewhere Mm -hmm. once they get a certain distance away. Um, And Mark is terrified i don't really think he wanted to to do this and he floods the engine as they're trying to get away so they have to get out of the car they run on foot and they get attacked by dogs at one part and then they have to run across a golf course where people are like golfing (laughs) and (laughs) to get away was this fueled by meth possibly it <laughs> seems very amateur yeah. very erratic. Um, except for the makeup apparently yeah. was really well done so props to him he really thought thought the makeup through um so even with like all these snafus they get out with nineteen thousand nine hundred seventy one dollars oh nobody's God. hurt and what year was this 92 okay yeah um and so even though like no one's hurt, they got a they got a lot of money. I think it the issues that they had scared them mm-hmm. a little bit. It sounds like, and it scares Mark a lot. And Mark's like, "Screw it! I don't care what I owe you. I'm done. I'm not doing this again." And he moves to Montana. Oh, he's like, <laughs> "I'm done. Peace. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm out of here." Scott, though, like the fact that it was a close call. He's an adrenaline junkie. He's almost died a billion times. He loves it. So he decides he's going to continue and make bank robbing his profession. Oh, and wow. His okay. doctor dream is dead. <laughs> so so $19,000 in 1992? Mm-hmm. Guess. Guess how much it's worth now. I, would, I wouldn't think it would be that different. Guess. I don't know. Like a 25. Yeah. 35,000. Oh, that's much more than I would as- yeah. assume. Yeah. So so it shows that inflation, even mm-hmm. in the time that we've been alive, has yeah. gone up a, a decent amount. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. And like they, so back to Kevin Myers, his, you know, his best friend forever. Like they're talking, Kevin still is like sporadically. It's, it's really weird. It sounds like Scott had this weird way of just being able to show up where people were, like mm-hmm. when they weren't expecting him. And, like, they had been growing apart, but, like, Kevin is really seeing, like, where, where Scott's going. And he mentioned that, like, Scott had asked him to help him sell drugs at one point and kind of other sketchy things. And he, um, Kevin's been married now. Like, so, and his wife is like, you can't keep doing, you can't keep being a part of this. And so, yeah, no. like, this is kind of, like, as he's finding out these things, it's kind of, like, the final straw in their friendship. And it's just officially done. Okay. Um. So, um, and with that, Kevin is out of his life and he 
globs on to Kevin's brother because what better thing to do when your friend leaves you? Mm. But um, so again, Scott's decided this is his new profession. On August 14th, 19, 1992. So the first one was in June yeah. of that year. On August 14th, he decides, hey, I can't find any trusted help. I'm going to do this on my own. So he goes back to see First Bank on Madison, <laughs> the exact same one. Are you serious? Because he had such a good hit the last time. He's brandishing a handgun. This time he's able to get away with $8,124. Oh my god. Okay, that's way less. Yeah. And he, I think he went back because he assumed he got so much the first time that surely he should be able to get that the next time. Mm -hmm. So once again, Scott, when he does this, he's using that heavy theatrical makeup to disguise himself. Um, But his demeanor and style are very similar to the first time, which kind of gives people a little bit of a red flag. Yeah. Um, He's described because none of his robberies are really violent in nature. Um, it's known as like a takeover or take charge type robbery yeah. where you're really strict and stern mm-hmm. and demanding. Um, but he's also like eerily calm. He has like this idea that if you come in and act nervous and crazed, that isn't as scary as if you come in and seem calm and demanding, like you know what you're doing. Which I could I imagine mean, is could terrifying. Be terrifying. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And I th- mm-hmm. and I think that all of it in its own way is scary, but Definitely, like, if you have somebody who you feel like is, like, nervously trying to take over this bank and get out of there, I can see why that would be a lot less scary than somebody who, like, walks in like they own the place with yeah. a gun. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he, because of, like, these takeover, take charge robberies, uh, he, for these two, gets known as the take charge robber. Mm. Um, and he continues to rob banks throughout 1992. So... He hit one in June, one in August. On September 3rd, 1992, he hits U.S. Bank. On Edmond Street, he gets $9,613. On September 11th, 1992, he hits University Savings and Loan, which is on Sandpoint Way. This one gets him $5,739. On October 5th, 1992, he hits Great Western Bank on California Ave. This one is $27,423. Wow. And on November 19th, 1992, he hits a C-First Bank on 55th Street, so a different one. Um, and this time he gets away with $252,000. Okay. Oh, my gosh. So a quarter of a million. Uh, okay. <laughs> Which is crazy. So uh, this is a cumulative amount in his 1992 robberies of $322,870. In Jeez. really, he started in June, so in six months, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Yeah. Well, and and again, we talk about you know um, inflation. That would be that that two hundred and yeah fifty two two hundred fifty two. So this uh, input two hundred and ten two hundred and ten thousand was three hundred ninety one thousand now. Mm. So I mean. That's insane. Yeah. That's over $400,000. I mean, what it would be compared to now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In one robbery. Yeah. That's insane. And the fact that he got away with it for so long is kind of insane. Well, it gets crazier, though. Oh, I'm sure. It gets way crazier. I am ready. (laughs) I hope you all are on the edge of your seats like I am. So at this point, the police in Seattle area have also, like, gotten in contact with the FBI. 
they're really familiar because again he's always doing like these take charge type robberies Mm -hmm. and he's always got like theatrical makeup on it sounds like the first couple times people were like there's some old there was like this old guy that came in but like (laughs) he's not acting super old and i'm confused and like they figure out it's probably the same guy mm-hmm. he's using a disguise and so because of his makeup and disguises they start calling him hollywood or oh. the media calls him the hollywood bandit i don't know okay. why they had to add bandit to it but hmm. the police call him hollywood it just sounds better it sounds cooler i guess yeah um and if i remember right because i read i mean i like use this and rule book to like help with information clearly yeah. mm-hmm. um but i didn't read the entire thing i actually read the entire thing about a year ago um which is kind of ironic but um if i remember right she she mentioned that he had like this affinity for low top converse shoes okay and it sounds like that was if i remember correctly and i could be wrong so if you fact check me and i'm wrong feel free to call me out (laughs) on social media but that he part of the they i like figured out it was the same guy is because he would always wear converse okay oh and like it was kind of like a identifying thing i don't know maybe i'm wrong maybe i made that up and the converse are more important than a or less important than a thing but (laughs) anyway um so he accumulates all that money in the 1992 robberies Uh, again it's over 322 thousand total um and he decides hey i can take a break i don't need to do this i got a lot of money um, and he ends up taking a hiatus for about a year before he runs out of money. So that oh, wow. <laughs> that sum of money only gets him through about a year of time. Oh, my gosh. And remember, he's like extra generous, though. Like he's yeah. giving crazy tips. Like, yeah, he's going on all these trips all over the world. Taking people with him. Yeah. yeah. He, he's a ladies man. So I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but he decides, OK, I'm going to start at my bank robbing again. He's never really had a real job in his life. I mean, if you think about it, except for that plant life farm, but that's in, that sounds like it was its own weird thing in Hawaii. And like it, it wasn't. With yeah. Selling drugs, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so <laughs> I guess, I don't know. But this time he gets Steve Myers to join him oh. as his lookout. And so previously Steve had kind of been a part of it. He did some money laundering for him, like in Vegas. Um, but now he's like, hey, you really need to step up further. I have done a lot for you. I've so it's time Mm -hmm. for you to do more um so he becomes the lookout and his job is to sit in a car with a radio and a police scanner and like listen for the 911 calls so that he can call him out of the bank if things go bad oh um and so he is trying to plan what am i going to do and he decides that the first hit should be that c first bank where he got the huge sum of money the very first time he robbed anything mm-hmm. um and so after several days of casing the bank they take action on november 24th 1993 which is the day before thanksgiving that year um and scott goes inside steve waits outside with the two-way radio monitors the police mm-hmm. scanners and he calls scott out when he hears the 911 com- calls coming through about the robbery um and even though the hit is successful they only get $98,571 this time, which uh. is chump change compared to 252 <laughs> For sure. Yeah. But uh, still a lot of money. Yeah. And Scott promptly buries it on his property like a gopher and <laughs> <laughs> gives Steve 5000 for the help. So, okay. so generous. Yeah. 
they decide, hey, that was a good sum. Not great. We can stop for a few months. Um, and they start again in early 1994. So that was the end of yeah. 1993, mm-hmm. early 1994. So um, January 21st, 1994, they rob a U.S. bank on 35th Ave. This one is $15,803. February 17th, 1994, they rob another Seafirst bank on 55th Street. Oh, sorry. That first one was 35th Ave. 55th Street, which is $114,000. June 24th, 1994, they go to a first interstate bank on Hawthorne Boulevard, which is actually in Portland, Oregon. So they go down. Mm -hmm. Um, This has a grand total of $0. (laughs) Um, It was aborted. Um, So they were in the process of getting caught and stuff. So they had to leave it. Um, July 13th, 1994, they go to a first interstate bank on Queen Anne. This one is $111,796. December 20th, 1994, they hit a U.S. bank on Woodstock Boulevard in Portland, Oregon. So they have two Portland ones. The rest are in Seattle area. Mm. Um, The second one is $22,000. Oh, my gosh. On January 18th, 1955, Scott and Steve hit the Wallingford branch of the first interstate bank, which is now a Wells Fargo. Do you mean 1995? Yes. Sorry. You said 1955. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's when he was born. I'm just really, yeah, 1995. He time traveled. Yeah. That's, yeah. You know. So he started in 1992. We're now at the very beginning of 1995. I almost did it again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Um, and when they hit this bank, so again, it's a Wallingford branch of the first interstate, which you would now see as Wells Fargo. Um, they have a dye pack in their money, Ooh. which explodes. Um, I'm assuming most people are familiar with what a dye pack is, but in case you're not, a dye pack is like triggered by when you leave the bank, essentially it mm-hmm. explodes, it gets dye all over the money. And then people know this is bad money because it's dyed yeah. the wrong color. This money was involved in a robbery. Yeah. yeah. So they end up having to abandon $11,924 of that stolen money because it's got oh. dye on it and then they take the rest of it. I mean, it could be worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could have not had like these huge ro- yeah, <laughs> other robberies sure. too. Yeah. Um, And so even though like you would think, okay, so now you've had to stop one robbery because it was dangerous you in your first robbery you almost got caught because you couldn't figure out how to get away now you've had a die pack it doesn't stop him like it's it because now he's just like fed and fueled by the danger yeah um and so he goes back to the original robbery site just a few days later on january 27th and he's able to carry away another two hundred fifty two thousand dollars. oh my gosh oh my gosh um, <laughs> This allows him to quit his job for a year. He can relax, take some time off, you know, whatever. Do Um, math. Yeah, (laughs) all those things. I'm sure, I'm sure that as he was traveling, like all sorts of drugs and crazy things around the world. Just just a normal party every day. Yeah. Um, And so like police are catching on to him. Like they they have a name for him. They kind of know who he is. And even though like he's never really been violent, they're starting to fear that like they do have like a violent nature towards them. There's, Mm -hmm. there's firearms involved. There's this commanding nature. So far, everybody has done what he wants. What if somebody tries to stand up to him? What happens then? Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so they're afraid like that eventually like he's going to become so emboldened that he will kill somebody. Yeah. Um, that paired with the fact that he's taking massive amounts of money in some of these robberies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they start to prioritize the case and they, they start to look at his MO. They realize that the robberies are similar in nature again, that he has a similar disguise. And in addition, um, they really take a look at the money and they're starting to chart it. This is like rain man stuff. So they, <laughs> they start charting the amounts of money that he takes the time between the robberies and are looking at the comparison of the amount of money and the time between the robberies. And so they figure they're able to figure just from looking at this, Mm -hmm. that he's spending approximately $20,000 a month. (laughs) Okay. I know. I was like, that's a huge amount of money. I can't even imagine. I I don't even know what that like would feel like. No, like that's going to be like crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they're able to begin calculating because they know that he's spending about $20,000 a month and they know the amounts he's taken. They're able to calculate about how much time Mm -hmm. before he'll do the next robbery. And so they make the guess that the next robbery will take place on January 25th, 1996. Um, And because they realize that he's like returning to these banks where he's gotten massive amounts of money, Mm -hmm. they establish task forces around some of the favorite banks that they figure smart will be there mm-hmm. um in addition to that the crime stoppers of puget sound and the some bank association yeah. um come together they they decide that they're going to offer a fifty thousand dollar reward because they're tired of this happening um for anybody who can help with his arrest and conviction so he's got now a reward as well as yeah. mm-hmm. people who are kind of catching on to how he operates um so the police are correct and on January 25th the exact date that they guessed oh my gosh he conducts his next bank robbery once again Steve's the lookout he's outside monitoring the situation and the police are ready for him there they knew that he was going to do it they have a task force established um and not only is Steve there, but he, Mark Biggins is back in the picture, the oh, guy who chickened out. Yeah. And he's there to help on the inside with keeping everyone where they're at while oh. he can just leisurely go in, in the bank and take the money. Mm-hmm. So the problem is the police were so right on, but they were at the wrong bank. No. <laughs> <laughs> They, he didn't rob where they thought he was going to rob. In fact, he robbed just a measly two miles away. Um, but because it's in the city, oh, um, they're, forever to get there, then. they're not able to get there in time. And they get in and out fairly fast. Um, okay. And so they get away with $141,405 on this January 25th, 96 um, job. On May 22nd, 1996, the trio robs the Madison Park branch of First Interstate Bank poor madison um they're able to get away with 114,978 dollars so in those two jobs that's quite a bit of money um just from two those poor tellers are probably just like you again i know can you imagine (laughs) and they were um some of the things that i was reading was talking about how that was like kind of like when the tech industry was starting to boom in the seattle area and so these banks did have like really massive amounts of cash on hand um and so it makes you wonder if it was a different time yeah would they have been able to get away with so much Mm -hmm. you know if they had started this a couple years earlier before all that but 
Um, and so he's really emboldened by this reward um, because they don't really know what he looks like or who he is. They think it's just one person, so they're not prepared for multiple people to be coming into these banks. They think it's just him operating alone. Well, yeah, because oh, he keeps yeah. changing it. Yeah, right? yeah. And which is which is smart. And prior to Mark, Mark had only been there for the very first one. Yeah. And then, and he was in the getaway, like he was the getaway person. Yeah. 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 Um, and then he's only been inside for the two. So they, they've only been planning for one person. Mm-hmm. He's disguised. So they don't really know anything about his identity. Like, it's almost like he takes this as like a taunt. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and like motivation. So, and, and plus again, he's an adrenaline junkie and, it seems like the thrill is like wearing off. Like yeah. now he's yeah. got to do a harder drug than just a regular <laughs> bank robbery. Mm-hmm. So Scar- Scott Scurlock, Steve Myers and Mark Biggins decide that they are going to attempt to rob five banks in a day. Oh, um, like to, cause the police won't expect it. They'll be able to get away with it. I hope they get He's caught. amazing. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. This is going to be like his last blaze of glory. The police don't expect it. And it's like his retirement. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's going to get so much money. Um, but he ends up changing his mind at the very last minute. Some things come out. It sounds like it's going to be too dangerous. And they decide that they're only going to hit one of the attended targets, which is the Seafirst Bank in Lake City. And so they make the decision that they're going to do this on Thanksgiving Eve, um, which that year was November 27th, 1996. Um and the main reason that they're going to do it then is because from the holiday, the bank is supposed to have an extra large amount of cash on hand. Oh, um, and it's just like in Home Alone too. <laughs> <laughs> and they're thinking it's going to be somewhere between three and four million dollars. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh. Yep. Okay, makes sense. Um, and so at on this stormy Thanksgiving Eve, which is not uncommon for. Seattle area. Oh, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. At about five thirty p.m., which around Thanksgiving time is going to be pitch, pitch black. Yeah. Um, they decide that they are going to do this rob on the Lake City branch, but they get in. They're very confident. The problem is the teller who happens to be working knows all about this guy. So the minute that he walks through the door. They don't give him the benefit of the doubt that he's just this old or yeah. strange looking man. Because again, he has mm-hmm. like this big fake nose that he's wearing. So yeah. it could be kind of offensive, I guess, if it wasn't actually him. But mm. yeah. they press a silent alarm the minute he walks through. The, like as oh. soon as he gets through the door, they press a silent alarm to alert the police. Um, and so they order everybody to lay down. Mark is holding them at gunpoint while Scott. Scott goes into the vault with a teller and it takes them four minutes in total to get in and out of the bank with their money. Wow. Um, so they tell everyone as I guess you would, if you were a bank robber, like stay on the ground. Yeah. You know, don't whatever. Don't be a hero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, a customer decides they're not going to listen to that, which good on them i guess but also risky yeah not the brightest decision no but a noble I, one. i don't know that i would get up and follow the man man men who just yeah. threatened me with a gun um but he follows them out and is able to call 911 and give a description of their vehicle oh. as they drive away um and he's able to tell them what direction they're traveling and so one thing again i, I He's not producing the meth anymore, but 
Oh, I'm sure he's still doing it. I feel like it's got to be fueling something because, again, everything just seems to be a little weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The treehouse, a little weird. <laughs> an extra large fireplace in it, a little weird. Although, uh, we'll talk about the treehouse later, but um, <laughs> the first robbery, not really well thought out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Anyway, I digress. Um, they clearly didn't think about the fact that it was a st- not only a storm, but they're in a city with holiday traffic. Oh, Ooh, trying God, to no. get away from the scene of a robbery. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm just picturing like these guys like freaking out in bumper to bumper traffic, like <laughs> trying to force We're themselves. Get caught. <laughs> yes. I I don't know. <laughs> to me, it's a humorous picture. Um, I think it's it sounds like the sticky bandits in every, <laughs> yeah. every sense of it like i like every everything that you've said leading up to this makes me think of home alone you're just like oh my god no <laughs> yeah like, oh my gosh and and not that i want them to win but it's like makes me stressed out for them for sure yeah, yeah. like right. i can't imagine i mean it's stressful enough to sit in traffic when you're trying to get somewhere but like yeah. trying to get somewhere with the police on your tail yeah like all this money that yeah. you've like gotten i can't imagine it's like <laughs> Um, and so they are able finally at one point to switch cars. Um, they switch from a blue Dodge Caravan, which is what the the witness called in, um, to a white Chevy Astrovan. So okay. they're going to be able, the police don't have any idea what they're driving now. They're looking for the wrong car. Um, but as the police are driving, because they do have a hint of what direction they're yeah. going, mm-hmm. um, they... Ha- they're like passing and following this white astrovan that has flashlights waving around in the back of it and they're like that's suspicious like white van sus <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and flashlights in the pitch black like i like, so why are you waving flashlights around the back of your van yeah like and something sketchy's going on i think it's kind of crazy because really that's all they have to go off of yeah and they decide that they're gonna follow this van and try to make a traffic stop thinking it could possibly be them yeah um and so as the police are following them scott was driving the car at this point he decides he's not going to get pulled over and he decides to take matters into his own hands and there appears to be an argument i have a personal opinion that i will not state but about who shoots first whether it's the men in the van or the police but scott ends up stopping the van on 24th avenue he jumps out of the car he's got a 12 gauge shotgun he aims it at the police and the gun jams and (laughs) (laughs) once again worst luck um and the police start shooting at the van and he ends up getting back into the van and drives away um the police officers are returning fire um he's clearly scared um as they're chasing they are able to shoot out the back window of the astrovan it gets broken out mark begins firing at the officers from the rear window as he's driving i'm assuming it's not super fast at this point but yeah. mm-hmm. um the officers are just following shooting at them as well and and mark does end up getting shot as well as steve myers during this oh, um, no. chase and they're coming they're going through neighborhoods oh um and scott decides he's not gonna he's not gonna get caught so he shuts off the headlights as he's driving again in the dark stormy weather oh my gosh. um and he ends up jumping out at some point while the vehicle is moving 
and the van crashes into a house oh, um, with the other no. two men in it. And so police surround the van and they find, again, both Steve Myers and Mark Biggins in the back. Both are pretty severely injured yeah. from being shot and from the being collision. jostled around yeah, in, hitting right? a house, in the car. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, Someone's Thanksgiving was definitely ruined. <laughs> yes. Along with the two men, they find um, five different guns, three two-way radios, a police scanner, and a little over a million dollars in cash bloodied up in the back of the car yeah. with them. Probably okay. not usable now. But no. Mm. They take the men to um, Harborview Medical Center, which is like the big hospital in the Seattle, yeah. um, to tend to their injuries and... Like, while they're questioning the men, they're pretty forthcoming with who they are, who he is. Yeah. Um, so they do they do give away that his name is Scott Scurlock. And they also um, tell them that, like, he's the mastermind of the group. Oh. Um, and so the police, like, scout out. I believe it was, like, a six-block. Maybe it was six. I think six-block radius um, that they kind of block off to search for him. And they are, they're not able to find him. Oh and so the following day is Thanksgiving. And um, one of the women in this radius that they're searching is a little 85-year-old woman. And her two sons, um, Bob and Ron Walker, um, are at her house to visit and prepare for the holiday. And they're talking about this. And they've heard about the reward. They've heard that there's a man missing in the area. And... At about 2 o'clock p.m. that day on Thanksgiving Day. And the two are like, we're going to go check that 10-foot camper in the yard just just to be <laughs> safe. Like, who knows? Oh, my gosh. Um, he could be in there. Um, and so they they go back there. Um, the police have warned that he's armed with a Glock, which was like his weapon of choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as they get up to the van, they're like, huh. Or the camper, sorry the curtains have been drawn which is kind of weird and um they go to open it and the door's been locked from the inside which is kind of weird um and so they grab a ladder and climb up (laughs) so they can look through the window and see like where the curtain's not covering and they see a man's head and so they come down the ladder like really quietly and quick and they go in and they call 911 and several minutes later the police show up and have like the whole area surrounded um, and the officers attempt to talk with Scott from outside the van, or the van, I keep on calling it that, the camper. Um, there's like not a response. They end up prying open the window and throwing two canisters of pepper spray inside. Oh. And again, like he doesn't respond. He doesn't come out. Like they, they're trying to flush him out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and so they're sitting out there for a really long time. And so the, the sergeant decides he's going to go up and try to unlock the door. And as he's trying to unlock the door, um, a gunshot is fired from inside the camper and he totally freaks out. He, he's like, like the adrenaline's pumping. He's like, I don't know if I've been shot yet. Yeah. Like trying to figure out like, where was it directed? Did it hit me? You know? So he like jumps into the bushes. Yeah. And in response to the single gunshot (laughs) that was fired, um, the police are released over 30 rounds at the camper. Oh, Um, And the FBI agents and other officers have like this five block radius around this camper now. They're evacuating people because there's a shootout happening um, in somebody's backyard on Thanksgiving. Oh, my God. On Thanksgiving Day. This is why we'll never move to Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Stay away. Um, And so they have a hostage negotiator 
show up in hopes because so after the shootout yeah. everything's just quiet they can't coax him out of the camper still so he comes trying to chat i am assuming it was it's a he maybe it was a she shows up tries to chat with him no response at six o'clock so now four hours yeah. from them finding him they fire tear gas into the camper and then after about 20 minutes there's still no response so they fire another canister of tear gas at 7 40 p.m they still haven't heard anything from him so they put on their gas masks and attempt to enter the camper again they're concerned they they're gonna get shot but so my question at this point is it, they've they've had no response right no For hours yeah like wouldn't what, you think when you assume he's, he's dead? dead that's so that is a good question um <laughs> and i and I think that because he was he was so quiet at the beginning. Oh yeah. And then he did and then he did shoot that they're not sure if he's just being super stubborn. I, um, yeah, very true. Yeah. And trying to like wait them out or mm-hmm. pretend like he's not there, hoping that they'll give up. Like yeah. I don't know. It seems like a long shot to me, but mm-hmm. that was I was like, I would just kind of assume Yeah, um, I, I would too. At that point, you're like, we fired two rounds of like tear gas. And yeah, like, of, like you have to be like the bionic man to sit through. Yeah, yeah, all of that. Um, and yeah, I don't. That is a really great question, though. I thought very much along the same lines. Um, and so they they go, they try to unlock the camper door. They're like they're all prepared for him to start shooting at them yeah. again. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time there's no response. Um, and when they open the door, they find that he's lying dead on the floor, having used that single shot to commit suicide. That's what I thought. Oh, wow. Um, instead yeah. of shooting at the officer like they had thought. Um, and so they aren't positive because he does also have wo- other multiple other because wounds. 30 yeah. rounds. Yeah. Through a tiny, yeah. what sounds like probably beat up old camper. For sure. It doesn't sound like it was like in prime condition. Um, it, it said like it was up on, it was up on something like it was being, oh. you know, oh. like yeah. it wasn't just like sitting in the blocks. yard. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, um, they're, they have to kind of look at his death a little bit. Um, and after the death, um, they can use the information though from Mark and Steve to search his home. They're able to find a huge cache of weapons in the barn, um, as well as like a bunch of police scanners, um, and they are able to find passports, like multiple passports, um, the two-way radios and like a lot of other stuff. Um, and then under the floor of the barn, they oh find no. like an entire hidden room and it has like a bunch of costumes and makeup and disguises that oh he would like gosh. put on. It was like his little prep room. Um, it's his own little backstage area. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, they're doing that. The autopsy is going on. The autopsy does, in fact, rule that the death was a suicide. Um, all the gunshot wounds were post-mortem. Okay. They're able to identify oh, them okay. as that. Um, and they're trying to figure out all the, uh, you know, all this stuff, making sure that Mark and Steve are being properly taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, the Walker family who discovered him on the property, they, they're stoked because... 50 Gs! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're like, okay, we got something from this. Best Thanksgiving ever. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to get the money because the reward specifically stated oh. that they had to help get his arrest and, and conviction. conviction. Oh, no. Um, so messed up. And so... Oh. <laughs> Then that poor that, lady. And, I know, <laughs> and, 
And I mean, yeah, your camper, your a i wouldn't want to use it again for no, sure i'm um, like are you going sold? to replace this yeah like <laughs> even if you could use the camper again yeah. no uh-uh. i mean there's a it's beat up and mm. then there was a dead man inside of it who killed himself you know there's that's kind of scary blood all over it and yeah chemicals I was and say, I, yeah, the pepper I spray and tear gas yeah, yeah that would be I'd have an interesting smell. Yeah. Y- your Thanksgiving was ruined. You're <laughs> 85 years old. And like then you find out you don't have not, that many left. And you find out you're not getting $50,000. Yeah. Like, and so, so, the, so much disappointment. <laughs> no, the public though freaks out. There's like this huge public outcry about the money. Cause they're, they essentially are like, well, we'll give you 10,000 because you know, he did die, you know, like that should compensate. And like the media is like totally, all over it and so eventually the the crime stoppers of puget sound and the bank association that had pooled together are yeah. like pressured into it and they finally give them their money good Yay. good i'm happy they got pressured <laughs> that lady deserves it so as they look at all of this stuff it's determined that in total scott scurlock was responsible for an estimated 18 robberies in total between the years of 1992 and 1996 which is wow a fairly short time yeah, but um, I mean, that's a lot of robberies. Yeah. Still. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So if he didn't get caught, I can't even imagine. Um, and in that time, he was able to acquire approximately two point three million dollars. Wow. Which is crazy because one of those is about half of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, two, a couple of them. Yeah. one of them was a quarter, a quarter. Uh, two I, of them were like a quarter million. But each. I thought that there was one that was a million or something. Oh, that like was that. this last one. I don't know. Uh, actually, I don't okay. know that that's even in the total. Okay. Because oh. he technically didn't get away with that yeah, for money. For sure, yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's even in the total. So if that's not, then that would be 3.3 3 3 million yeah. total Which, that he takes. Again, talking about inflation, that's, that's, that's a that's lot a of money. That's a crazy amount of money. Like, yeah. Um, and so this actually, he is one of the most pr- prolific bank robbers, not only in Washington state history, but in U.S. history. Wow. Ooh, another um, thing for Washington to be famous for. <laughs> so that... that um, is his contribution and what becomes of him. Um, His accomplices, Steve and Mark are both given fairly light sentencing compared to what they could have received for their crimes because they are robbing banks. There's like a ton of charges because automatic, there's like an automatic sentencing for pointing a weapon at a police officer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the men each received 21 years in prison and five years of supervised release, which again, for there was like this giant list of things that they're charged with Mm -hmm. is pretty light sentencing. Um, Both were set to be released in 2015 based off of that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds like Stephen Myers ended up getting out in 2013. And one of the articles that I read um, actually had, had this guy in the comment section who claimed that he was in prison with Steve Myers and that Steve Myers says all the information is a lie. He, and all these other things um so sounds like something you'd expect to hear yeah um but i can't i couldn't really find anything about mark biggins um and he was last known to be in in may in um the englewood federal correctional institution in littleton colorado so um i would assume if everything went well that he also got out but he's um steve steve talked to ann rule Okay. apparently for a little bit and then she like upset him and he refused to talk to her anymore oh. um but she didn't interview mark so steve and 
his brother Kevin, who was the original yeah, friend, yeah. um, ended up like giving a lot of direct quotes about who Scott was for that book. So there, there definitely is insider information for sure. Okay. Um, which again, because Anne Rule's kind of a badass. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's just wonderful. So, but again, he claims she just lied and and made him angry. Again, I mean, if if someone's writing a book about all the stuff you did and everything came out. Yeah, you would call them a lie. Yeah, oh for sure. When yeah. when in reality, you know, they're they're not. And the yeah. rule is notorious for you know making sure truth comes out. Like. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, that is the story of the Hollywood Bandit. The Ooh. Hollywood Bandit. Yeah. My first non-murder. I was gonna say that was really good. This is incredibly light so mm-hmm. far. Um, Allie, I feel like yours is not gonna be light. Yeah, probably not. Ali, I'm excited for your murder because I didn't talk about dead people, so you get to. Bum, bum, bum. I mean, to clarify, (laughs) disclaimer, I do not like people being killed. I think that's terrible and horrible and awful. But But for some reason, we like the stories. It's interesting. I like the puzzle behind the story and to see how we got there. Yes. Most of the time. Um, so I chose to do, well, actually I went through a couple of iterations where I wasn't really sure what I should do and then settled on one and then changed my mind. So it took forever to get a research done. Well, you know, I've had a weird week. I know. Um, I'm just giving you a hard time. (laughs) I love you. No, you don't. Stop. Uh, (laughs) I love you. Oh, I said no, like I don't, but I do not in the same way. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Um, Clarification. Um, so I chose to do Warren Leslie Forrest. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see. So the date of his murders, um, began July 11th of 1974, and he has anywhere between one to eight victims. Oh, so. Oh, okay. That's yeah. interesting. A little bit little different. Um, but yeah, we'll get there. They're where, that unsure. Where does this take place? Um, so it takes place in Clark County, Washington. Clark County, Washington. Thank you for getting closer <laughs> to your microphone. Wow. <laughs> um, and it looks like his MO was um, stabbing with a knife. With oh. a knife, anyway. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Kind of an up close and personal, yeah, way to murder someone, yeah, um, yeah, and risky, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, right. Um, so I got a lot of my information, most of my information from murderpedia.org. Um, it has an entire encyclopedia of oh yeah serial killers and for the record, I love stuff. that that's a thing. It is. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I have it bookmarked. <laughs> It, it reminds me of the movie we watched the other day where the, there was, it was like Demonpedia or the whatever. The index or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they were, they got to like search up demon names and the stuff that conjures them and the stuff that gets rid of them. It's yeah. in a movie. It's not a real yeah. website, yeah. but it's no. similar. It, it was a good movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then other information sources were um, articles I found online through like Q13 Fox and different things like that because he is still alive and he was up for parole in 2011 oh oh so i'm assuming he's still in prison yes okay he's still in prison 
I was going to say, cross my fingers. Yeah, right. We're, we're not in Washington. Nope. No. Nope. If you're listening to this, we're not in Washington. No. We've been D.C. Yeah. this entire time. Yep. Actually, we just moved to Canada. <laughs> so. <laughs> She's not joking. Um. So Warren Leslie Forrest, he was described um, as being five foot nine, 155 pounds, Light brown, shoulder length hair, blue eyes, and a bushy mustache. And he actually wasn't bad looking. He was kind of like, you know, the 70s shaggy look. Sounds very 70s. um, But, you know, attractive Mm -hmm. still. Um, And at this time, he, at the time of his arrest, he lived on 18th Avenue in Battleground, Washington, and he was married, the father of two children. Oh. Mm-hmm. This is going to be interesting. I'm ready. That's always so fascinating to me. Let's, You've uh, done lots of dads. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have researched lots of dads. Thank Sorry, you. Sorry, my better brain. <laughs> For the record, she has not done lots of dads. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Researched. Cut. There are Don't. no children. <laughs> yes. Yes. No children. Um, um, yeah. But he was 25 years old at this time as well. I forgot mm-hmm. to mention that. So he was born in Vancouver, Washington, attended Vancouver schools. He was in the U.S. Army, serving as a Specialist 5 um, Missile Crew Service Gunner in Vietnam. I would like to just say this is another military member. That, this is that another you've... theme. She's got yeah. a type. Yeah, yeah apparently, do, apparently. Military and dads. Yeah. Well, yeah when right. talking about murders. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. We're not inappropriate that way at all. Um, in 1970, he attended the North American School of Conservation in Newport Beach, California. And at some point, he also lived in Texas. Um, from January 1st, 1971 to October 2nd, 1974, Forrest worked for the Clark County Parks and Recreation Department. And he owned a 1973 blue Ford van bearing Washington license plates. Um, course with the van right not even surprised they all have to have a van at some point you have a van it's not running right now so (laughs) sore subject sore subject way to bring it up no not not (laughs) rip hopefully it'll it'll be frankenstein (laughs) good as new maybe um let's see here so victims Found March 29th, 1972. This is the first victim. was a reported homicide. Um, her name was Barbara Ann Derry, age 18, 5'1", 115 pounds, living on W Street in Vancouver, Washington. And she was a Clark College student. Mm-hmm. Derry was last seen hitchhiking along State Highway 14. People don't hitchhike. Like, yeah. just yeah. a bad idea. Yeah. Well, yeah. And everyone did it back then. I was going to say, it's crazy how that was like such a normal part of culture mm-hmm. and people weren't like killed no, no. well it was... but then yeah then people preyed exactly. upon it and then yeah. yeah and then it became i mean like came taboo after i that. always want to pick up people because i feel bad for them but for sure. never, never have will. i because oh, no nope. nope which is funny because most of the time it was like the people that were picked up were the ones that were murdered yeah yeah <laughs> not the other way around yeah, for sure but and I mean, it's just as sketchy sometimes getting into an Uber with someone. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, I think because like it, you know, like I'm sure if you have if you're around our age, like you're mm. in your 30s or 20s, millennial, I guess. But 
you probably had your parents tell you like these stories about like when I was For your sure, age, yeah. I could ride my bike five miles away and nobody would think twice about it. And, mm-hmm. and, but like we didn't grow up like that no. because the world had changed so much. Sure, and yeah. like, so even the idea of just getting into a car with a stranger mm-hmm. in a taxi, like it's, you know, at like, least they're employed. Yeah. And like, there's know, like a place that they have yeah. to go back and report to. I mean, theoretically. I mean, I love Uber. I'm yeah, not trying sure. to. For sure. Oh, no, I love Uber. And I, I love Lyft. Say, with, like, with Uber and Lyft, again, there's an agency behind mm-hmm. it, right? Like there's mm-hmm. ways to track who you picked up and how you picked up. I think it's the personal car part. For sure. Yeah. Uh, no, for sure. I I'm agree. trying to like, I'm trying to pinpoint what it is but yeah. i think that's what it and like we just have that like it's yeah. like a fear thing of well and it's like i've taken ubers from um where i worked before mm-hmm. and like home and i was by myself because i didn't have a car at the time and yeah, never was, had any like bad experience it also was like a two minute drive yes because i was like i'm not walking up that hill <laughs> for the record <laughs> It's, the it's steepest, a two-mile hill. It's the steepest hill in Port Orchard, <laughs> and it is awful. Um, I have walked up and down before. I was like, awful. I don't mind paying $10. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I never had any bad experiences, even when, like, taking... Well, we've had some scary experiences. Driving on the sidewalk. Nothing where we felt like we were going to be murdered mm-hmm, or anything. Mm-hmm. You no, know? just dying in a horrible accident because our Uber driver was driving on the sidewalk. Yeah, he almost took out a lady and her baby carriage and like yeah. the back of the yeah, it was, pickup truck. It was, it was we were like, it's okay, we'll just get out here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We, run away. Anyway. We are majorly off topic. Get yes, to the murder. Yes, we are. So I was telling you about the murder. Um, Let's see here. So she was hitchhiking um, east from Vancouver, Vancouver on February 11th, 1974. 1972. I can't talk anymore. It's okay. I can't do dates either, apparently. Uh, her body was found on March 29th at the bottom of the silo at the Grist Mill in northern Clark County. Oh. A county park. Like, mm. that that body was hidden. Yes. Well, they didn't find her for over a month. Yeah. I'm so. surprised that, that they found her in just a month. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? At bottom of a silo? Right. Um, the bottom of- outside? Sorry. Oh, it doesn't it, specify. It, okay, because oh, okay. that's two very different things. For sure. Yeah. It's like at the, bo- the base of one on yeah, the outside. Yeah, I'm thinking there. on the inside. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I didn't even think inside it, and then I was like, why would that be so hard? And then you, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Mm-hmm. I just, no, you're good. Just like, <laughs> who's right, Cody or Melissa? No. Like, the answer is obviously not in Cody, the middle probably. of this. Yeah. Okay, probably not me, because if it was a month, it, it just wouldn't make sense if it... if it Somebody checking the bottom yes. of one. For, like, no reason. Yeah, so... Probably outside. But it was at a park, a county yeah. park. So, it could you know, be. just saying. Um, and it was covered with boards and debris, partially disrobed, missing a bra. Mm-hmm. The cause of death was oh. discovered to have been caused by one stab wound to the heart with a narrow-bladed instrument. Identification was established through dentals. She had many male friends and was known to hitchhike frequently. Poor girl. I know. A huge index of people to... Yeah. Consider. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The second one was July 11th, 1974, a reported homicide. Uh, Krista K. Blake, age 19, and she was from Vancouver as well. Um, Blake was last seen on July 11th, 1974, getting into a blue van driven by a white male, which, to be fair, could have been hundreds of of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Blue is a very popular color in the 
like in the 70s yes was it i mean how do you know this well i feel well, like it was I'm, you see so many trucks yeah, and vans though. for sure you see so uh, many old trucks and old vans driving around in that very and specific it's blue. like a like pale Ford blue mm-hmm. like it's the same blue that our friend really likes and whenever we see a car in that color we're like She'd like that. And it's generally really old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, if you're born in the 70s, you're not really old. So don't take it that We're way. We're talking about car years. Yes. Yeah. Those are different. Car years are completely years. different. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. They got some mileage on them. <laughs> um, let's see. And this was in the area of the 29th and K Street in Vancouver. Um, she was a known hitchhiker as well. Later, two other witnesses observed the victim, suspect, and the blue van together in the area of Louisville Park sometime before the date of her disappearance. Um, Blake's body was found in a shallow grave on Clark County Park's property at Tooks Mountain. Um, the victim was partially disrobed, missing a bra. Witnesses related they had seen the blue van at the Tooks Mountain site on or about the date Blake was last seen. I just lost my place. <laughs> um, her hands and feet were hogtied behind her with baling wine. Oh. Mm. Twine, sorry. Um, and then he definitely had an MO. It goes on. Next one was July 17th, 1974. Reported kidnap and assault. A 15-year-old girl living in Ridgefield, Washington. She was also a regular hitchhiker. She was picked up by the suspect in the blue van in the area of State Highway 502. Um, One week after the disappearance of Krista Blake. Inside the vehicle, she was held at knife point and driven 13 miles to the Tooks Mountain area. During that time, the suspect mentioned he would like to take her to Texas. And also, he was... To get some money for delivering her to several other males. Oh my gosh. So there's a human trafficking element there mm-hmm. as well. Um, at the Tooks Mountain area, the van was parked at the gate to the park. She was beaten while still in the van, then taken into the woods and hogtied to a tree with the same type of baling twine just 100 feet from Blake's grave. Oh my um, gosh. Victim's bra was cut off and used as a gag. The suspect left her tied at this location, saying he would return later. She was successful in chewing through her bonds and escaped. She hid in a nearby field until daybreak when she was found by a parks employee. Um, The suspect returned during the night and picked up the materials he had used to bind her and the bra he had used as a gag. Two witnesses confirmed the van was at the site during that period. From this case, a positive suspect was developed, which the victim identified in the lineup as being the one responsible for her kidnap and assault. Wow. Holy yeah. cow. Can we just give a quick shout out to brave young for women sure. yeah. who get out of that situation, which I'm sure is scary in its own right to try right. and escape. And she's 15. Yeah. Well, and, and I think at least, you know, in the, the episodes that we've done already, there's one person, so there's 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 kind of a final girl in, in, in each episode that we've yeah, done so, so far. Mm-hmm. And and so it's really interesting because this, this girl escaped, she got out, mm-hmm. she, you know, had more guts than probably 99% of the people on the planet, mm-hmm. including myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, again, let's talk about the Parks uh, employee as yeah. well. I yeah. mean, a- again, in the last two episodes as well, there's been somebody who has been decent and did something right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're in a world of people doing awful, mm-hmm. awful things. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, people can and often do take advantage of all awful things being done to other mm-hmm. people. So mm-hmm. good for that person. 
Um, yeah, I, I did. This that's is, crazy. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's so much. Mm-hmm. You're already terrified. Like the worst things that could, your nightmares are coming true. For sure. Um, you're young mm-hmm. and you still do it. You like, you still do whatever you can. Yeah. And, survive, she kept fighting. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure the defeat was there. For know? sure. She very easily could have given up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Especially being hogtied to a tree. Mm-hmm. And again, like, 15. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't imagine um, if, she, if or when she yeah. found out that mm-hmm. she was 100 feet from um, yeah. the grave of somebody else. For who, sure. What that would trigger then at that point like that mm-hmm. has got to be i feel like this is a whole new level of messed upness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah continue so the fourth victim um was on october 1st 1974 so he took a little bit of a break mm-hmm. after you know almost being caught probably um this was a kidnap and assault a 20 year old um from camas washington okay um, she was standing on the street corner in downtown Portland when the suspect stopped his blue van and talked to her. He said he was working on a thesis for classwork at Seattle University. Mm-hmm. He offered her money to pose for him. She accompanied him into the Washington Park area of Portland where he threatened her with a knife and bound her with tape. He then transported her about 25 miles to I'm so sorry if I am saying this wrong. Lacamas Park, a heavily wooded, sparsely populated area of Clark County. There she was sexually assaulted and shot in the chest with a hand honed darts from a .177 caliber dart pistol. There's such a thing as a dart pistol? Yeah. This, this is the first time hearing of it as well. So, wow. so yeah. I, I imagine thinking of like... Um, uh, tranquilizer guns. Yeah. Oh, uh, mm. yeah. Okay. There. We, yeah. Okay. I guess you just never think about them in this context. For sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, um, it's kind of feels a little unusual. And it very well could be something that he made. Well, it sounds like the the darts. Were, yeah. Well, the darts were. But yeah. I mean, I mean, you never know about the gun. Yeah. 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 Um, she was then led by a rope around her neck, approximately a hundred feet down a path. Sat on a log, then choked unconscious. He then stabbed her five times in the chest area. Her naked body was laid beside a log and covered with brush and debris, apparently left for dead. Um, all clothing was taken from the scene. The victim, however, was not mortally wounded. She lived? And oh after about two hours, was able to make her way to a public road where she found assistance. Wow. Oh, my gosh. The gun, tape, bailing twine, similar to what was used on the other victims and other items used on the victim, were taken from a footlocker in the suspect's van. Articles belonging to the victim were found in the suspect's home. He had taken leave from work to keep a doctor's appointment in Portland on the day of the kidnap and assault. Uh, The victim readily identified the suspect in a lineup. Gosh. That's so crazy. And, mm-hmm. and and before we go further, this guy's still in prison. Yes. He's also old as hell. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, he did all of this and he's in prison. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised other things were not pursued. But, but it sounds like they didn't. Well, because she said one to eight. Uh, true. So they haven't been able to prove most of them. Okay. 
So that's where we start to run into trouble. So five and six found October 12th, 1974, um, a reported double homicide, one victim as yet unidentified, one being mm-hmm. identified as Carol Val- Valenzuela, age 18 years. Um, she was later determined to be a victim of Ted Bundy. Oh. Oh. Mm-hmm. You <clears throat> might know him. Uh, heard right. of him yeah <laughs> maybe heard Just about maybe. him especially if you know you live in the pacific northwest yeah. yeah there might be movies about him on netflix he's just super notorious um so both female victims were found in shallow graves in the dole valley area of clark county so that's why mm. they thought that they yeah okay um an area the suspect was known to have frequented um the bodies were found about 100 feet from each other mm. um the unidentified female was estimated to have died two to six weeks prior to Valenzuela's disappearance August mm-hmm. 2nd, 1974, approximately two to three weeks after the 15-year-old's kidnap and assault and the Blake homicide. The grave sites were near large logs. The unidentified victim was determined to be a white female, 17 to 23 years, 5'5 to 5'7 tall, and approximately 125 pounds with long, dark brown hair. Mm. These remains were believed to have been placed there approximately one month prior to Valenzuela. I'm so sorry for mispronouncing that. (laughs) Um, Valenzuela was a white female, 18 years from the Camas, Washington area. She was believed to have been hitchhiking from the Camas area on the date of her disappearance to have died possibly from suffocation. Mm. Um, Seven. Found May 9th, 1978, was Gloria Nadine Knutson, age unknown, last seen in downtown Vancouver, May 31st, 1974. Um, I recognize that name. I think that's another suspected, mm-hmm. uh, another one that they... They weren't sure about. With Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. I think that that's why that name is familiar, but I could be wrong. Um, victim was located near the Lacamas Lake, positively identified. This makes six victims of suspect Warren Forrest and one of Ted Bundy's. If Jamie was indeed a victim, she would be number seven for Forrest and number eight in Clark County. Golly. So Jamie, um, there's more to her story, but so that all of that information found on Murderpedia. Murderpedia is amazing, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, and then this following article is from Dan Tilkin, which is from KVAL.com. Um, and fam- it says family pleads to keep sus- suspected killer in prison. So he was sentenced based on one um, one murder. Oh. And this was before sentencing. Mm. Um sentencing laws or the 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 amount of time standard sentencing Mm -hmm. um had started so that's why he would have been eligible for parole in 2011 yeah yeah so um so this family of one of the victims um was like no we do Mm -hmm. not want him out like f that Mm -hmm. so they went to battle for it and and fought to keep him in um, so Vancouver, Washington, nearly 40 years ago, Jamie Grissom of Vancouver disappeared without a trace. Um, the detectives suspected she was murdered, but they never found her body. After all these years, um, the evidence points to one man, and that was Warren Forrest. Mm-hmm. Um, investigators think Forrest killed Grissom and other teenage girls. However, prosecutors could only make one case stick, um, which was um, 19-year-old Krista Blake. 
in the woods of Tukes Mountain, just east of Battleground. Mm. Um, now Force is up for parole. He went before the parole board on Tuesday. This was written on April 12, 2011, by the way. In a closed-door meeting at the Staff- Stafford Creek Correction Center in Aberdeen, Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a day that Grissom's little sister, star Lara of Hillsborough, didn't think she'd have to deal with for three more years. Forrest isn't eligible for parole until 2014. Oh, sorry. My bad. Um, but the board is going to make their decision in the next few weeks. So Jamie disappeared um, when she was 16 years old on December 7th, 1971. When her little sister got home, she said, um, when I got home, I noticed she wasn't home. And I said, where's Jamie? She told the four members of the parole board at its offices near Olympia, Washington. Uh, The last time Laura saw her sister, she had left their foster home for Fort Vancouver High School. Jamie attended classes but never came back. Mm -hmm. At the time, Star was told that her sister had simply run away. Mm -hmm. Um, Then five months later, Grissom's student ID and other belongings were found near Sunset Falls Campground in remote Clark County. The bodies of two other women were found um, nearby later on. I think of my sister every day, especially when I get up and when I go to bed, she told the parole board. Three years went by before Forrest was arrested for kidnapping, raping, stabbing, and leaving for dead a different 20-year-old woman at Lacamas Lake Park near Camas. Forrest was working for the Clark County Parks Department at the time. Um, he, ple- he pled guilty by way of insanity and was sent to the state mental hospital mm-hmm. near Tacoma for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, hadn't even been convicted at that point of the murder. Well, and, and it's one of those things why pleading insanity is so difficult now, right? Because mm-hmm. for such a long time, it feels like people were... Abusing. Yeah, they were saying, oh, I'm insane. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, coming up with reasons why they could plead, you know, insanity. And, and now, from what I understand, in watching all the stuff that we've watched and listened to over the years... It sounds like it's incredibly difficult to get away with now, which. But people, it seems like everybody tries it no matter what. For sure, and and so and so and so, I think that it's good Mm -hmm. that it's incredibly Mm -hmm. difficult to get away with because, in the end, it should be saved for those people who are clinically insane, Mm -hmm. right? Not, you know. Someone who did something that was insane. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Because there's yeah, a yeah. difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, a distinction. There's a distinction between what you're doing being crazy. Like not knowing what you're doing. And, and mm-hmm. yeah. And there's a difference between that and then actually being insane. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between, um, because to us, when we're talking about insanity, I feel like we would, I feel like most people would say it is insane to not feel remorse. Yes. for that action but there's a difference between being apathetic or being like a sociopath for sure, for mm-hmm. sure. and actually actual for sure i don't realize what's right and wrong that yeah. like yeah. and i feel like that's a huge it takes a lot to not have any inkling of for sure. right or wrong yeah. right yeah mm. um so <clears throat> Near the end of his treatment at the mental hospital, Forrest was convicted for Blake's murder and sent to prison in 1979. He tortured her, shot her with a dart gun, and cut her throat, and then buried her in a very shallow grave, said Blake's sister Zella, who did not want her full name used in this article. Zella and Blake's other sister Valerie both lobbied the parole board to keep Forrest behind bars. 
Warren Forrest is a monster, and no amount of time in prison will change that, said Valerie, who also didn't want her last name published. Mm-hmm. Um, a Clark County Sheriff's Office document from 1978 formally links um, Forrest to Grissom's disappearance as well as murders or attacks on six other women. Um, in a 2006 email, Clark County detective wrote, it's suspected that Jamie Grissom is the first victim of Warren Leslie Forrest, who is suspected of killing eight women in Clark County. Um, the story of Warren Forrest is a horrible story, said Denny Hunter, a retired Clark County deputy prosecutor, when it was his turn to speak at the parole board. Hunter was the prosecutor who put Forrest in prison. What he did to them was probably the most cruel behavior I've ever experienced. He said, Grissom's sister star, Laura, still hopes there is some humanity left inside of Forrest. Now that he's 61 years old and up for parole, she hopes he'll reveal the location of her sister's body, though doing so could open him up to being prosecuted for Jamie's murder. Which means he's 70 now. Right. Right? Um, or 70, 71. Well, this was 2011 and it's now 2020, so. And if he was 61, then he'd be 70. Two? No, Mm-mm. he'd be 70, right? It's been nine, so, nine years. So, so Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, like, wait. None of us are able to do math right now. Uh, <laughs> um, whose math was right? No, you did, you did it. Cody you're did fine. it. But <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> he's 70. Yeah, he's yes. 70. I yes. was right. Yes, you guys are right. Um. Ultimately, she just wants her sister's body to be found so she can have some closure. Um, I can't even imagine that. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it's already hard enough, A, losing a family member, right? Mm-hmm. But imagine then losing that family member so brutally. And then on top of it, not being able to get that final little bit of closure. Like, I, I could yeah. not Mm-mm. imagine um, what they had went through that's that's so sad mm-hmm. the article ends with um a member of the parole board saying this is very very difficult history to overcome when he said um when he was talking about how they would make their decision yeah um mm-hmm. obviously he's still in prison so yeah. that's a good thing yeah do we know where he's in prison um i don't believe it's walla walla <laughs> <laughs> just thought i'd ask um yeah you never know well I mean, yeah. But that's the... The gist? The gist, the very sad story of those poor women, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I guess we're ending tonight kind of on a... A sad, sad note. Somber note. I mean, at least he's in prison, I guess, yes. but... Yeah, at yeah. least he is. Um, so on that note, everybody, thank you for joining us. Um, this, again, has been an entertaining bank robbing filled yeah. episode a little bit of murder mixed in um switched up on you yeah. yeah um thank you so much for joining us please 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 i'm gonna keep saying it please follow us on social media if you follow us on instagram or you can follow us on instagram uh at nightmare collective pod um you can also find us on twitter at uh nightmare night or the nightmare co two yes um you can find us on facebook the nightmare collective um really quickly a couple quick updates uh and a shout out um i went to high school with somebody who just started a Mm -hmm. podcast 
uh, they shouted us out. I want to make sure that we get to do the same Mm -hmm. thing. Um, And so um, a a guy I went to high school with um, whose name is Will, um, he and his brother started this podcast called Bad Brothers Pod. Uh, Check them out. They're on Spotify. They're on, I think, Apple Music, too. Um, but it's cool. It's just two brothers kind of just hanging out and talking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really cool. They they record locally just like mm-hmm. we do. They, mm-hmm. they think that they're the best I in mean, Port they're Orchard. in Port Orchard. So um, also, it sounded super entertaining for the little bit I listened it, it, to. It did. Yes. It did. Because right after that, it was talking about a dream that Will had about Santa shooting him. So yeah. kind of up our alley. Yeah, yeah um, totally. I'm here for it. <laughs> I will say, Will, yes, we record in Bremerton, but two of the three of us live in Port Orchard. So you're... Um, and half of our episodes have been recorded in Port Orchard even. True. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe we'll have to tie for best, best podcast. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. that's just that's what, what it's going to have to Rock, be. Rock, paper, scissors for it. Um, or in reality, we could be the best scary and they could be the best brothers yeah, podcast. There you go. Done. We, we can we, share the love. We all win here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like yes. the Academy Awards. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Uh, also want to shout out... Uh, creep it real and coffin cast we've been interacting with them on twitter and they're super cool um great podcasts creep it real is my jam i uh, love them coffin cast is pretty cool and they're getting ready to kind of restructure things and i'm excited for that mm-hmm. um but uh with that there's a, a new a really cool new thing that you can do wherever you listen to us um if you go to the very bottom of the description you can actually leave us voice messages that could get put on our episodes. Mm-hmm. If you have something that you want to say to us, um, that's maybe loving. a creepy story, yeah. you know, or a question. <laughs> if you have yeah. a question or mm-hmm. fact checking us. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> sure fact checking us. If you um, had a family member that went to maybe prison in Walla Walla. <laughs> and all the people I'm sure they've met. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can leave us uh, a voice message that might end up on the podcast. We I can... mean, but if you're a troll, we'll delete you. So <laughs> um, maybe, maybe you just want to say something super encouraging to us. That's welcome as well. Words of affirmation. Um, we're all about that here. Uh, that being said, if you listen to us on Apple Music, which most of our listeners do, uh, please rate us. It helps. It helps us move up the charts, which I'm sure we're not even on, but. Um, mm-hmm feels good again yeah you know we're doing this for fun and it's kind of cool seeing everything grow and we've got way more Mm -hmm. listeners than we did even a month ago super honored that you guys take the time out of your day to listen to us it's so good and every time i see the number it makes me want to cry yeah so a little bambi podcast (laughs) wobbling its legs (laughs) yes uh that being said uh we are your hosts cody melissa and Allie. Uh, please remember to keep collecting those nightmares and stay stay creepy. creepy.